Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. My name is Colleen Conahan, and my dilemma is whether to indulge my trail mix obsession. Okay, this doesn't sound, you know, too problematic to me, but if you want to cut back, I get it. Um, Could you plan on pairing your trail mix with something so it's only a treat reserved for that day or that week, maybe only post long runs or maybe only when traveling? Um, If you make that hard and fast rule about when you get to indulge, it makes it a lot easier to say no in those in-between moments because it's just the rule that you have. Or... You could separate the container into several smaller containers like Ziploc baggies or, you know, preferably something reusable. And then you limit consumption to just one of those smaller ones per day or per week or whatever. Um, You know, it's always about preparation and planning ahead with this stuff. Just can't trust yourself around a giant sack of trail crack in a weak moment. Start planning. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. I have a super fun guest to introduce you to today who's become a friend and an inspiration to try bigger, braver, more badass things. Um, You're going to hear about her incredible adventure last year and the mindset that it takes to take on this big, scary challenge. Um, Also, how great it feels to come out on the other side. She is the perfect person to pair with the introduction of my That's What She Said Do Crew, their challenges, their first steps. Uh, You're going to get to hear all about that and from some of them at the end of this episode. Uh, While you're listening to Klain and later the Do Crew folks, maybe be thinking about if you've got something you've been putting off, wanting to do but afraid to try, uh, and what the first steps would look like if you wanted to suck it up and go for it. I promise after listening to Klain, um, you're just going to remember the value in challenging yourself, the satisfaction, the confidence gained by doing something you thought you couldn't that you had to really work for, and how worth it it is uh, to do something worth being proud of. So let's get to it. Uh, this week's guest is Colleen Conahan. By day, she's the head of marketing and global sales at Legends. She's a freelance writer. She's also founder and editor-in-chief of a creative writing magazine, thepromptmag.com. By night, day, another day, another night, another day. Well, you get the picture. Um, she's an ultra runner. And yes, the races take nights and days and nights and days. Uh, she recently completed the Badwater 135, 135-mile nonstop race from Death Valley to Mount Whitney, California. So it's, this is the most extreme, the most demanding running race offered anywhere on the planet. And I'm guessing other planets. Um, so you start at Badwater Basin in Death Valley the lowest elevation in North America. It's 280 feet below sea level. And then you finish at the Whitney portal at 8,300 feet. The trailhead to Mount Whitney summit, which is the highest point in the lower 48. So the Badwater 135 covers three mountain ranges, 14,600 feet of cumulative vertical ascent, 6,100 of descent. Yeah. And I wanted to know how she decided to take that challenge on. What kind of person can face the fear of failure, the potential pain, embarrassment, the fatigue of of such a tough endeavor? And so we get to know Colleen and the training required, including jacking up the heat in her house for a month, Um, her mindset during the race, her feelings after it. Also, her advice for people who are maybe afraid to try on new things or or take on challenges. Uh, You guys are going to love this. She's such a badass. Um, Oh, and ignore the fact that that little stinker Pablo Torre chose yesterday to rerun his podcast with Colleen from a month or so ago, uh, clearly trying to steal my thunder. Actually, you know what? Don't ignore that fact. Take action. 
Share the podcast with everyone. Spread it far and wide. Tell your friends. Tell your lovers. Tell your enemies. Tell your haters. Tell everybody to listen. <laughs> okay. Uh, enjoy. And don't forget to stick around after Clayne for the Do Crew update. That's what she said. Super excited to have my friend Colleen on the pod. Uh, I started working with Colleen's husband, Josh, uh, a couple years ago on Around the Horn. And then uh, through the magic of women's sports, we were brought together to talk about uh, female athletes and women's sports for Colleen's podcast that she did, um, which was an affiliation with one of the craziest, weirdest, wildest, most insane endeavors and decisions I've ever uh, heard of anyone uh, electing to do. And that is to run the bad water ultra marathon and we're going to get to why anyone would ever want to run 135 miles in the world's hottest place but first we have to figure out who that person is and 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 how they got to that starting line so Colleen, let's go all the way back uh let's start with where you grew up where where did you grow up what'd your parents do how many siblings did you have what was life like for little Colleen? uh well little Colleen, the upstart tomboy from freehold new jersey um which you may know from bruce springsteen's actual mm-hmm. hometown uh so i grew up in you know it's a small town in New Jersey. Um, but I was the youngest in my family. I have one sister who's two years older than me. Uh, and she just like me was an athlete, right? We just grew up and we're, uh, always chipping at each other. And, you know, I think I am, uh, in my soul, a little sister, right? So like, I'm always trying to like chip away at something, get under your skin, prove that I'm here. And, um, you know, I think that that combined with just growing up in New Jersey, which already has its own attitude, (laughs) which some people would describe as an attitude problem, uh, is kind of how the manifestation of how I stand before you today. Um, as you know, somebody who, who thinks it's a good idea to run 135 miles in Death Valley in July. Uh, but you also uh, mentioned in a story you did for ESPN about the race uh, that your mom's mantra was no wimpy women in this house. Where does that come from? Oh, well, it's so funny. My mom's real name was Debbie, uh, but people called her Stella. Um, and it was just like she got this moniker because they were like, oh, she's this, like strong uh, Polish lady. You know, she like, well, she, I mean, she's half Polish or half half Irish, half Polish. Um, but nonetheless, like they, she just got endowed with this because she was, you know, I, I think there was nothing that my mom couldn't or wouldn't do um, in our house growing up. My dad was like, forbidden from using power tools. My mom, on the other hand, in the basement had a shop, right? Power saws. Uh, she, she would take apart and reassemble our dishwasher. There was literally nothing that she couldn't or wouldn't do. Um, and whether it was like her literal brute strength, um, or just her will to succeed and get something done and, and accomplish something that was something that, you know, that spirit was brought to both my sister Jillian and me all throughout our, our lives growing up. And I think that uh, there was a very clear edict issued in our house of no whining. And that, <laughs> you know, also whenever my mom would accomplish something or whenever she would see Jillian or me doing something that was strong or defiant or just, you know, some version of uh, overcoming some obstacle, she would like flex her biceps and just say, no wimpy women in this house. And it became this mantra of just kind of who we are. Um, And, you know, my dad was, 
he was all in on it as well, right? I think it benefited him as well. I'm sure he didn't want to dis- disassemble right. the dishwasher. He There's was just like, three great. women that can do things instead exactly. of them. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a, a well-regarded mantra that we all just kind of uh, put all our chips on, into. It sounds familiar. Uh, I have an older sister and a tough mom who did most of that stuff. And so we definitely bought in on that very early as well. And I've never pushed back on it. It's always been a point of pride for me. Did you at any point resent that? Or did you at any point feel like there were going to be future therapy sessions about, you know, not being allowed to talk about your feelings or be, uh, be vulnerable? Oh, no, I mean, no, I didn't. But I think vulnerability, and this is something that I also talked about in the ESPN piece that I wrote. Uh, it's definitely hard for me to be vulnerable from like an emotional standpoint. But I think Badwater was a great example where, I mean, I was physically vulnerable. I was I, I was vulnerable in every possible way. I went through the darkest moments, the <laughs> you know the highest, most optimistic moments, um, and it's such a roller coaster. But no, I never resented that. You know, for me, it, it it's your backbone. It's yeah. it's who I am, and um, I would way rather feel that sense of. I can do this uh, and and know that whenever I'm whenever I'm throwing into something that I can do it with my full belief in myself. Yeah, I don't resent that at all. You know, I, I feel like that has certainly allowed me to overcome so much more and to feel like I'm, you know, I'm only five foot four, uh, but it makes me feel like, you know, I'm I'm so much bigger and mightier than I probably truly am. Yeah. In the story we're talking about, by the way, if people want to read it, if uh, the headline is Badwater Ultramarathon, what I lost and found during 135 miles of the world's most impossible run. It's on uh, ESPN.com. One of the lines I love is, uh, I guess you could say I've been groomed since birth to value toughness as currency, and I want to know how much is in my account. That feels like the through line for the decision making later in life. But did that kind of decide things for you early on too? whether that was what sports you wanted to play, what activities you wanted to do, where you wanted to go to school? Um, Did it feel like you always had something to prove? Because that's different than just thinking no wimpy women. Right. That's that's almost like chip on your shoulder stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can see it here, but I'm definitely <laughs> tilted a little bit. Um, no, there's there's a huge chip on my shoulder. And I think I do have something to prove. And again, maybe it's I had an older sister and I wanted to prove that I was like just as just as good, just as athletic, just as smart as my older sister, who's a badass in her own right, you know, like who I always looked up to. Don't tell her I said that. Um, but, you know, like uh, I, I think I always had that chip on my shoulder. I was also the youngest in the set of my cousins. And so once again, I was like, I want to be out there. I want to be playing with them. I'm not going to tell on them. Yeah, they're picking on me, but like, I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to get out here and do my best. And sometimes I'm going to be that little annoying thing that just, you know, like you're not going to get me in tag because I'm too, you know, ducking and dodging. And I feel like, you know, that is, like you said, a through line for me in how I approach so many challenges in life. Um, And to your question about which sports I got involved in. Yeah. When I was growing up in Freehold, right, it's a pretty small town. And in the 90s, the choices for playing basketball, which at the time was my favorite sport. Since then, I couldn't possibly pick a favorite. But the choices were you could either play boys basketball or instructional, right? And I was advanced what? beyond it. Like, yeah, I didn't need to learn dribbling drills. I'd been dribbling in my driveway and in, in on my back patio forever, you know, playing with all the boys in my grade. Um, and, you know, I was 
I'm, I'm not here to just do defensive slides for two hours on a Saturday. Like I'm trying to ball. And I think that, you know, so in fifth grade, I played with the boys and in fifth and sixth grade, I played with the boys. Um, and yeah, I mean, I felt like I had to prove that I belonged there because I think there were only three girls total in the whole league. And, you know, fortunately I was on a team, my coach was awesome and, you know, saw me exactly the, you know, gave, gave me the same critiques and criticism and feedback as he did for all the boys, right? Like Mm -hmm. shout out to Mr. Begley. Um, but like that, you know, and that's super important. It made me feel like I belonged and, but I don't know that all the parents or all the, you know, I think, I think I got plenty of like, look at this girl, like good for her. (laughs) Right. But I think there are some people who just historically doubt that you can play on that level even before you've hit puberty, which to me right. is like right. the joke of all jokes. Pre-puberty, I could crush any dude in my class. Like That's at one I'm point saying. I had established via many races that I was faster than every single person in my school except for one dude. Yeah. And I was like, that guy's going to get it. I just got to keep training. Exactly. This is, you know, eighth grade. So by the time, you know, puberty hits and, and, and you know, freshman year in high school, it, it was not the case anymore. But don't don't come step into me in eighth grade. I'm gonna That's beat you in everything. <laughs> exactly. You know, I felt very much the same way. And like I was still small, right? Like, and there were people whose skill development was far past my own, but like I could hold my own out there. Right. I, I was yeah. I certainly wasn't a liability on the court. Um yeah. and yeah, I mean, you talking about races, right? Like I legit I don't want to sound like Uncle Rico from Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite, but like I still remember the mile run in sixth grade and like me just beasting on the like like last lap and i'm just like like screaming for the finish line and just you know out out leaning probably you know the the competition but and that was important to me right like i i love to compete i know you do too sarah Mm -hmm. you know um the idea that i should should have even have been socialized away from that feeling of success and excellence is crazy i can't even imagine myself Mm -hmm. without that running through my whole life like it's just and I don't even think I'm, you know, I'm not like bloodthirsty or, you know, I'm not a monster, but I just, I want to, I want to win. And I love, yeah. I love performing. And you know what, if you beat me, if you best me, like good on you, man, cause it's going to make me better and it's probably going to make you better. Yeah. I'm going to be an asshole about it for a little bit though, cause I'm a <laughs> terrible loser. And then I'm going to get my perspective back and I'm going to be like, congratulations. <laughs> it's going to take me a minute though. That's right. Um, that's right. Okay. So basketball, um, did you play other sports through like high school? Yeah. Yeah. I played basketball, soccer and track. Um, And legitimately, when I was in eighth grade, the biggest decision of my life at that point, or sorry, in in seventh grade, the biggest decision I had made up to that point that just rattled my brain was whether to play softball, which was like my sister's sport. My dad coached me in it. It was probably like, you know, the family heritage or to run track. And when I opted, I mean, it was it was so hard for me. And I mean, this how sweet is this? The the PE teacher at my middle school um, who was a softball coach when she learned that I chose track, I'm sure I was, you know, head in hands, like very sad. She yeah. like put a, she put a banana muffin in my locker and was like, it's okay. <laughs> you'll, like, be you'll be fine. You'll be fine. We're happy. Did you ever you. find out about those kids? Like when I went to college, I found out about kids at other schools that could do more than one sport <sighs> in the same season. What? Cause they would be like, they'd be like, I have like 11 D varsity letters. And I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah, I no. did varsity like every year, but I only had the, like, well, we were allowed to play. I was like, what? Yeah. You could play multiple sports in one season. Where's this magical land where you could do all the things? No wonder you chose heptathlon, right? Yes, like, you're like, uh, I want to do all the things. The through line of my life. Jack of all trades, master of none. 
Okay, so um, you're an athlete in high school. What what did you think you wanted to do for a living when you were growing up? I was going to be a senator, Sarah. I was going to be <laughs> a United States senator representing the great state of New Jersey. Yes. Um, and so I went to the University of Maryland, close to Washington, interned on the Hill, totally self-important. You know, I'm giving tours of the Capitol and I'm like, look at me changing the world <laughs> one constituent <laughs> at a time. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I went on and got my master's in public policy from the University of Southern California, which is, you know, a much more kind of practical application, learning quantitative analysis and just kind of the putting putting the rubber to the road, right? Like, right. how do you get this stuff done? And that's when I realized that um, I would disintegrate in the government. <laughs> like, I am not built for bureaucracy. <laughs> right here, I just told you my whole backstory of like, I'm right. just like, upstart, defiant little, t no, like that, I'm not going to plug away in a bureaucracy <laughs> for 30 years. Um, shout out, to, seriously, huge shout out to all of the public servants. They do an amazing job. There's right. a reason the wheels are still on, but right. like, I just can't. Um, and so I realized that gridlock was not for me, um, nor was bureaucracy and, uh, just kind of moved into the private sector far away from the dreams that I had had as, as in my youth. I mean, yeah. I also wanted to be like an NBA player, um, <laughs> because that was before the WNBA existed. Yeah. Um, and before I realized that uh, at five foot four, I was going to be topping out on yeah. my yeah. talent here. The um, ball handling would have to be truly on a different level. I mean, uh, you I just reminded me that I said I was going to be, uh, I told my parents if there wasn't a female president by the time I was old enough, then it, I would I would go ahead and do it. I told them, I want to be on Saturday Night Live. I want to be on Broadway. But if the world requires me to step up and be the president... Sarah, uh, now's your time. I think I really, I, I really think... failed my own my own self uh, by not applying myself. To I mean, that. America needs you. I think at some point, I think I probably thought it would have happened by now. So I just, you know, I didn't pursue that track. I was like, right. well, somebody will do that. We'll right. be fine. Right and here, we are. Well, Spain Conahan. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, so incredible um, academics that you've then pursued, and were you an athlete throughout college and post grad? Um, even just in terms of like what your daily needs were, like yes. you had to be moving. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Like I <laughs> am a very kinesthetic person. I, I need to be moving. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't even play club. I just played intramural and I worked out a lot, but I, you I'm know, surprised I distance running didn't like, was that something that you found later? Yeah. So my, when I ran track in middle school, I ran the 800 and I was really oh, good. I was like worst. such a good 800 meter runner. And then as I describe it, I didn't hit puberty. Puberty hit me. And like, I all of a sudden had like, like big thighs and I was like, who is, you know, and I couldn't, I didn't, I did not have the same, um, not that it's an endurance event, but you know, I didn't have the same. No, motor. you're carrying around whatever, I mean, right. weight you have, and that is distributed right. differently. Exactly. Um, and so I moved to sprinting and, and like, look, I, I'm definitely to your master of none. Uh, I am a hundred percent like a utility athlete. You could put me anywhere. I'll be good to go. Um, and, and, and that's that. So, I, I mean, when I was in high school, I lettered in every event in like of every running event, except for the 16 and the 100. But like you could literally like distance medley. I'll run the 32. Great. Right. And then I'll turn around and run the 400 hurdles. Like I wow. just I was. Yeah. They, and 
they just kind of plugged me in anywhere because I love to run. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a distance runner. I'd never done cross country. Um, and so I found that later on. Um, I mean, I, again, I had always loved running and I don't think I had ever hit my ceiling. So it wasn't, it wasn't something where I really had to dig deep to find it. But the first time that I ran, uh, a marathon, I was 26. So neither young nor old really to get into the sport. But, you know, I just I hadn't been a distance runner in high school or um, or in college. I just, you know, I casually ran, you know, around campus. I would do five miles here or, you know, it it was always it was always very important for me to stay moving and stay active. Um, I am the legitimately the idea of being sedentary terrifies me like I can't imagine what a horrible monster I would be if I like had all this pent-up energy gosh I hope you never have some sort of like injury that that ties you up for for strong long lengths of time I mean like I will that would be the only thing that would get me into like an augmented reality you know I'll just see myself never tear your Achilles no uh, or you'll end up like me going to like parties on crutches and Uh, falling down the stairs trying to do my own laundry because I can't ask for help. Uh, it's a it's a problem. Yeah, uh, I feel okay. So so I want to talk about the race. And so uh, in order to get there, let's skip ahead. Just yeah. give us a quick look at like as far as half marathons, marathons. What did you do enough times, and I guess enjoy enough times that yeah. you were like, let's do 135. Yep. Yeah. So my my kind of path to get to Badwater. Uh, I don't think is that unconventional. It was essentially, I ran a marathon when I turned 26 and it was not good. <laughs> I was like, I blew up, I hit the wall, but mm. some something in me was like, I could do this better. And that wasn't that terrible. Um, people have called it type two fun. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but type one fun is the kind of fun that is fun when you're doing it. Type two fun right. is miserable while you're doing it. And then in retrospect, you're like, wow, that was amazing. A sense of like accomplishment and okay. And so I think there are a lot of athletic feats, you know, think For about like sure. season, like a lot of things apply to hiking to exactly hiking, like kind of in the moment you're like, uh, and right. then you're like, oh, look at this great view. And then afterwards you're like, I love hiking. You're like, you right. did? Exactly. Like right. You're yeah. going to be doing that on the Grand Canyon. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah, so I, you know, I kind of had that, like, I, I'm definitely going to do this again and I'm going to do it better. And then my second marathon, I dropped 40 minutes from my time and I, wow. did, yeah. And I qualified for Boston and I was like, girl, you, you did it. Like, this was great. And this was fun. And at that point I was kind of hooked, right? I was just like, this is a thing that I do now. And so I just was always looking for the next race. And one of my good friends who I'd grown up with, uh, knowing that I started running marathons, introduced me to a friend, a mutual friend. Um, his name is Mossy Smith and Mossy has done ultra marathons. He was just like, I think you, I think maybe you have what he has where he finds the joy through this excruciating, uh, you know, journey on his feet. And so I started talking to Mossy and talking about ultra marathoning and how I was interested in kind of towing the line. I read that book, Born to Run, like so many of us who have been evangelized. Uh, Bruce Springsteen by... somehow coming back into the picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a Bruce Springsteen Always. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, you know, I kind of was intrigued and I signed up for a 50 miler called the JFK 50, uh, which is in Western Maryland. I live here in DC. And so it was a convenient one. Uh, and the first time that I ran a 50 mile run, I was like, yep, that's it. And it's so different, right? A marathon, you know, uh, 
I was, I'm going for a time. I'm, I'm looking to like, you're, you're really looking to max out and redline or get as close to your threshold as you can. Whereas in like a 50 miler, nah, like you're just along for the ride. You can't, I'm not going to be speeding along for 50 miles. That's not a thing. Um, And so I learned to enjoy the ride and to be competitive in a different way. And also something that's so fascinating about ultra marathon running is you are going, you are going to go through dark patches and they may last hours. You just are like, it's going to be hard as hell. And you're just going to have to figure out a way as opposed to running a 10 mile or a 5k or an 800 where, you know, what the, the level of effort is so much tighter of a window that there's not nearly as much problem solving than when you're on your, when you're on your feet for nine hours. Um, and so, so it, to me, that was, that really, triggered another interest of mine, which was, okay, how do I push myself physically and get this mental component, which, you know, I love gamesmanship in, in athletics generally, but this was not something that I had ever experienced before. And I think it's really hard to replicate in other sports. So that really captivated me. And so I think it was honestly, it was probably my first 50 miler that I completed that I was like, okay, now we're leveling up. And so from there, it was not just another 50 miler, but okay, can I do a hundred? And I, you know, I skipped to, I skipped over, there's, you know, a hundred K distance, which I skipped over and I just went for a hundred miler. Um, and why waste and, your time? Exactly. <laughs> who needs it? Uh, and so I went straight to a hundred miles and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And absolutely brutal. The, the first hundred miler that I did was in Lake Martin, Alabama. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why I chose that one. And overnight it rained five inches. So I was like, oh, I mean, it was like, I don't know how I didn't get jungle rot, you know, like running. <laughs> um, but, but again, that mental fortitude and the ability to just keep going and figure it out and try new strategies that really kept me kept, you know, kept me captivated. And, I just, I think there's some strange drive in me to keep doing things that are harder, uh, to see where my threshold is. And, um, you know, after a couple other hundred milers that I've done, um, and after crewing my friend Mossy, who I just talked about earlier, who's really the person who introduced me to ultra running, I decided that Badwater is maybe the pinnacle, um, and something that I, I needed to at least throw my hat in and see if I could if I could hang. Okay. So you had mentioned in the story that you sort of feel like you're the balance of hard work with some natural gift that you are not blessed with like being the greatest athlete. So the hard work has to come into play, which I think completely explains seeing opportunities and adventures and challenges and saying, if I work hard enough, I can prove to myself that I can do that. Even if I have to work harder than everybody else. Um, But what about the fear aspect? Because, you know, part of the conversations we're having on this podcast for this do crew that I'm putting together of people who are finally going to try to do the thing that they've been putting off, whether that's learning a language or running a race or something like that. Um, I think a lot of what stops people, even for something enjoyable that they want to do, is the fear of failing or the fear of not being good enough or the fear of Mm -hmm. trying something new when they're so used to being proficient at everything. Because when you get to a certain age, you've done the things that you do regularly and you're rarely met with something that's a completely you know, foreign challenge. What kind of fear have you had in your life when you've approached that first marathon, that first 50 miler, bad water? Because it doesn't sound like you get too caught up in, in the what could go wrongs. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think like many of many people who are trying to do a big thing, right. I have always been an overachiever. I know you are too, Sarah, right? Like it's no surprise. Yeah, but I'm like very prideful. So yeah. like I sometimes don't put myself in situations that I might fail because I'm, I'm very bad at sucking at things. <laughs> like I have such a bad attitude when I'm bad at stuff well, that I usually just veer away from the things that I'm bad at and then yeah. find the things I'm good at so that I can be happy and good at them. <laughs> um, And you don't seem like you have that fear or that, that, worry about what it will do to your pride and your ego if you suck well i think i think it's two things number one i am scared of that like i i the fear of failure especially at Badwater, it's so expensive i trained so hard and it's there are so many variables that i don't control right that and and it's so long that like failure could come at any moment and that was very real um it was i mean it was i i definitely wrestled with that before applying. But once I applied, I was all in, right? Like there was nothing that was going to stop me. I, I mean, I feel like I consistently be saying like, unless I am injured to the point where I, or need to go to the hospital, like I'm doing this damn thing, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think, I, I think fear can be really paralyzing or you can use it to, as a springboard. Right. And again, knowing that I am this chippy little punk. Right. I was like, <laughs> you know, like middle fingers up. I'm doing this. You know, it's like I have this defiant streak in me um, that I I want to I really want to conquer my fears. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, I wrote about this in the piece, like it's it is so counterintuitive. But in order to do that, you have to be vulnerable. Right. Like I had to confront the fact that um, like you said, I don't like asking for help. And mm -hmm. in Badwater, you have a crew. Like there were four people who were there to make sure that I succeeded. Not only did I have to personally invite them out to Death Valley and like ask them to help me right. provide me water, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Not only did I have to do that, um, but I had to get comfortable with it, knowing that they were going to see me at my absolute yeah. rock bottom worst as a human. Like, like I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna be ugly and smelly and mean and like i was gonna be gassy and like like and just uh, just this like atrocious creature of nature and and it was hard just you know like these some of these people are my good friends and some of them i barely knew um and so i think like getting over that fear of you know i, I, I honestly i think some of it also comes down to the fact that i'm a nihilist like <laughs> like at the end of the day the I only mean, things I think that that's matter clear. Yeah. The, the only things that matter are the things that you endow with value. So, right. you know, do I actually care whether I fail? Yeah, I do. But I can control the things that I can control. And the other things are not up to me. Um, and so I'm just going to do the best that I can with all of that. You know, like, I, I think there's just there's something very liberating in feeling like in the macro sense, nothing matters. Right. 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 At, at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you fail. You can also fail. rewrite. Yeah, you can rewrite the failure as a pivot point or a learning lesson. You just have to figure out the, you have to get past that initial fear in order exactly. to be, allow yourself to even be in a position to fail, which is the only way to achieve greater heights and things you're proud of and accomplishments that you could ever could have imagined. Otherwise, you just sit on the sidelines and, and you, and you, you don't fail, but you also don't really achieve. Exactly. Uh, but you have to get past that first part. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Troglodyte. Troglodyte. 
an amazing word and one that has actually slipped out of my vernacular of late, but it's going to be making a triumphant return. Troglodyte is such a good word. It means cave dweller. Uh, it first emerged in the 1550s from the French and the Latin and Greek. Literally, one who creeps into holes. <laughs> from trogle or trogla, I'm guessing, hole or mouse hole, and die in, go in or dive in. Um, there are innumerable opportunities to call out troglodytes and troglodytic behavior, uh, particularly on social media. So this is a most excellent word, Kilane. Speaking of great words. You gonna learn today. The word of the week is heliophile, one attracted or adapted to sunlight. I'm putting this out in the universe as I get ready for a little vacay in Arizona starting at the end of this week. Uh, no baseball, unfortunately, sadly, uh, but I'm turning spring training into spring break. I'm going to enjoy Music Fest, Poolside Hangs, uh, drinks at the Salty Senorita, all the good stuff in AZ at the end of February, early March. So most importantly, though, sunshine, warm weather. Uh, in a sentence, while I can survive winters in Chicago, deep down, I'm a heliophile looking for a recharge in warmer climes as often as I can get one. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about the race because you, you've done all this stuff beforehand. Like you said, um, you met someone who had done it, which of course in Colleen's life means like, well, if somebody else did it, then I guess I need to do it too, because uh, I can't, I can't let them just be better than me. Exactly. Um, uh, so you actually in 2020 applied and you were one of a hundred runners selected to run the race. You trained for the whole thing. And then 10 days before the race, uh, three days before you're set to leave to get to it, um, you get the cancellation email. Uh, the oh. COVID canceling email, no <gasps> refund, no credit for another year, no nothing. Uh, you just now have to decide, do I want to do this again? Yep. Train for this again, sign up for it again, pay for it again. Yep. Um, take me through that moment. Cause that's a big decision point too. Oh man. I mean, that was a tremendous L, right? I think we all suffered losses in 2020 and and I don't marginalize any of those, nor do I think this is the biggest of all of the losses, right? Um, but it was one of those things where in a year where doing outdoor activities was really the only joy that I was getting to ha and, and to have a purpose that was like, yeah. I'm training for this. And then to have it just taken away in a flash like that was so, it was, it hurt so much. I kind of knew that it could happen. I think we all recognized that things were, again, we don't, we did not control the reason that it got canceled was essentially the very small town, the very small county uh, where Death Valley exists in California, in Yo County. They had had a recent spike in COVID cases and their health yep. department was just like, if we bring a hundred people and their crews to Death Valley and there's another, we don't have the capacity to deal with an outbreak, right? And totally reasonable. And, you know, who am I, but this, you know, like right. one person wanting to run a race, like, is that more important than like the systemic success or failure of hospitals? No. And so I feel like, I, by the way, I definitely did a lot of this bargaining as right. like part of my grieving process, yes. like thinking <laughs> through, really trying to get some perspective on it. But I don't think it was really a question for me whether I would do it again. Um, I... I felt like that was even more fuel for me of like, cool. So you're going to try to take this away from me, <laughs> you, the grand macro yes. universal uh, <laughs> powers. And I was like, hard no. Uh, and, and it was, you know, it was something that I felt even chippier about, right? It, it absolutely 
added fuel to my fire and and made me feel like this was something this was an obstacle that I had to overcome and something that, um, you know, I was not going to resign myself to just be like, you know what, just not my time, not my right. gear. I, I don't, I don't have that gear. Um, right. I, I don't know. Well, and to- you had also trained, so yeah. it's not like that goes away. Now you do have to assuming, you know, taper for a while, do other things and then start when the time is right again mm-hmm. for the next race, but you sign up and in addition to the training, which, as one would expect, is just running forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, um, there's also things like, you know, turning off the air conditioning mm-hmm. in your house, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure uh, your husband, Josh, just absolutely loved. Uh, so you spent, like, how long? Months? Months in your house just being hot all the time? So it's it's interesting. Like, biophysically, you need roughly five weeks. Like, that. you know, there, there are, if it's a strange, very niche thing to study, but there are books and there's research science on heat training. Um, the military uses it as well when they're going to deploy to really hot places. Um, and so five weeks is really the timeline. So the, you know, this race was in mid July. And so starting in early June, you know, when it is getting, um, extremely muggy here in DC, the air conditioning was off and, you know, my heat training regimen did not and there, you know, I also would, I, I was working from home and I would close myself in the home office area and I was in full sweats, you know, multiple layers, uh, wool socks, slippers. Again, it's, it's June and I would also blast a space heater. And so I would oh just be God. this, yeah, I was just like <laughs> a disgusting sweat ball. And I think it's a hilarious anecdote. My, my laptop obviously was it sounded like it was going to launch into space. Yes. Just like the, the whirring of the cooling yes. engine. And so I would just put it in the refrigerator like That's multiple times a day so that very it could function. Smart. Yeah. So this little radio studio that I'm in where I work from home doesn't have any vents or windows. And uh, you can hear AC and like fans on the air. Yep. So when it gets really hot in Chicago, I have these small little fans that are, you know, the non-spin kind. Um, But yeah, my computer has shut off in the middle of shows before. Or you could hear it. And they're like, what's that noise? I'm like, that's my computer telling me it's overheating. So you can understand what's happening to me while I'm trying to host the show. Well, well, my Uh, entire, like all of the, all of the. That was not with the space heater or all the layers on. Um, So did you ever get in a fight with Josh about this? And or was there ever a moment where a normal interaction probably got escalated because he was like super pissed about being on fire for a month? Uh, you know what? I think he was pretty bought into it. We we both like hot weather anyway, which I think is like a, a fortunate thing. Um, but I know, I mean, like, look, if we're keeping score, uh, Josh, Josh won a lot of those fights because I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't win on all these fronts right. right now. You know, I gotta, I gotta make some concessions. And I will also tell you that like, um, Many of our social interactions, which ordinarily would be an invite to our house, people were declining our dinner invites. I'm sure they were. You know, and so (laughs) so there are a lot of like, we'll come to your place, right? Um, and and I would sit in, uh, you know, funny enough, we went on a hiking trip with some friends in Utah 
in, you know, like close to uh, Badwater, which was great from like a mileage standpoint, but it happened to be when there was a relatively cold snap. Um, and so it was like 70 degrees in Utah and everyone was, they were like, this is amazing. Like, oh my gosh, we're getting the best weather. And Sarah, I was miserable. I was so <laughs> mad. I'm like, I'm layering up. I have like 15 like sweats on and everyone's like, why can't you just like, like one week? And I was like, yeah. you guys don't understand. Yeah. I got to get my body ready. That's right. Oh. Right. Okay. So important before the race starts, uh, the playlist, mm. the outfit, how long did we spend on what you're going to be wearing for 135 miles and what the music is that's going to like get you through the worst parts? Yeah. Yeah. The, the outfits. So like you, I mean, I wound up changing. I think I had four different full changes because of, you know, just the chafing alone. Yeah. Um, you're just so sweaty. Um, but, and so, there were some things that I was like, that's it. I know it. Right. Things like right off the bat. I was like, obviously need light colors. So this white shirt, these white shorts, these white socks, boom. Um, but there, you know, I like really agonized over a pair of shorts for the, the initial, uh, kind of the, the start of the race. I was like, I want something that I could like put a phone in. And I don't usually run with that kind of shorts. And so, I mean, I, I kind of agonized over that yeah. particular one. It turns out it doesn't matter. You're going to chafe. It's going to be miserable. Um, <laughs> and you could wear a construction suit or you could wear, um, you know, nothing. And you're just going to be raw and and maybe a little crispy and around the edges. <laughs> um, and then the music, on the other hand, like that, I, I kind of love that process. And so I had asked for, um, you know, some friends to give some of their favorite pump up jams. Uh, and so I built out a playlist and downloaded it locally because surprise death Valley does not have great <laughs> internet uh, or Wi-Fi connectivity or uh, satellite, you know, it's just not really on the grid. Um, and it turned out that uh, at my, the first time that I basically, the, so the race starts at night. Um, it starts at eight or for me, it started at 8 PM and I, by midnight, since I'd been up the whole day, right, it's really, I'd been up, you know, 15 hours, 20 hours, and and I was really tired around midnight, uh, but I knew that I needed to push through, and ultimately, it was my girl, Whitney Houston. Yes. Shout out to Whitney, who yes. got me through. I just, like, I put on my headphones, and I had tried everything, caffeine, sugar, you know, like, changing my pace, all these things. I was just really trying to push through, and ultimately, I just put on my headphones, uh, and I, I was literally just, I was by myself in the middle of the desert, pitch black midnight, you know, and I was just singing to no one. <laughs> there you go. Just blasting go. Whitney. Yep. <laughs> um. Okay, so if people want to read like the true details of the race and the difficulties in the mountainous sections mm -hmm. or the the race starting with a I believe it's pronounced haboob. Yep. <laughs> haboob. <laughs> so you're starting the race the beginning supposed to be the easy part and instead there is a basically like a a, a headwind of sand directly yep. at you that feels like resistance bands yep. right when you're supposed to be like taking it easy and, mo and moving your way into the race. Mm -hmm. um, people can read the full the full story, but I want to talk about a couple parts. So you mentioned mm -hmm. the crew. You had um, four folks with you. Are they paid? Are they sponsored? How does how do you decide and how do they decide that? Um, is it sort of like, I know I need a crew when I do my races, so I'm going to crew someone else and then hopefully they'll crew me later? 
Yeah, it's it is not a paid position. Um, it is totally voluntary. Um, and I think the kind of general code is that so like, you know, the crew that I picked, I I paid for their housing, I paid for their food, I obviously paid for the van and everything. Um, but you're you're basically you yourself, the runner, are like sponsoring them because they're taking so much time out of their lives to you know, to help you succeed. Um, and so you just kind of ask your friends who are part of the community or who, uh, run well or whatever, you know, I feel like there are a few things that I was looking for. First of all, I needed people to be the right vibe, right? Like I'm, I'm looking for somebody who's going to laugh at the hard stuff. I don't need somebody to get me more stressed out. That does not go well for me. I, I just wanted people who were going to make it a fun, light experience, but who also know how to get stuff done at the end. Right. You know, like, like they're going to be able to say like, this is an urgent need and we're going to do X, Y, and Z at this point. Um, right. And also who wouldn't be afraid to have a tough conversation with me about like, you know, whether I'm going too fast or you're dogging it and, and we're seeing th these signs. Um, you know, I, I wanted those, that type of people. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, my friend Ricky was number one draft pick. He and I had <laughs> crewed Masi in the past. He was an obvious uh, choice for me to be uh, the crew chief. And then the other p three people on my team had never crewed before. Um, but exactly to your point, like two of them are ultra runners, uh, Brenna Bray and Kaylee Demergian, like they both run ultra marathons. And I think there is that kind of karmic loop idea of I'm going to do good for others so that eventually it will come back to me. Um, and somebody will help me if I want to do this really daunting challenge. Um, and so I think that was certainly a part of it. And then also like in the case of both of them, uh, Badwater, it's usually like two thirds male and one third female. And I want that to change. Like I yeah. would love to get it closer to 50, 50. And one of the main criteria for being selected is like, have you been on a crew? And I uh. totally endorse that. Like it's, I don't know that I could have succeeded without having seen Right. The race in progress. Right. It's so, so you important. bring women with you, which is great. Yeah. You have these yeah. two women who haven't crewed yet. Um, I love the interactions that you write about <laughs> with them. Um, uh, everything from, I think one of the most surprising, uh, cause I, my, I had my, my mom read the story and she was mm -hmm. so confused about the Coca-Cola and the candy. Um, and I, I guess that is, I mean, you want high calorie foods that are going to digest immediately. It's just so strange to imagine. And you joke that it's like, buddy, the elf is your nutritionist. Mm -hmm. It's so strange to imagine that there isn't some product that's been invented specifically for this, that somehow is better for you than just eating sour patch kids and chugging a Coke in the middle of a 135 mil race i swear coke i mean every ultra runner i know will swear by coca-cola it's it's incredible um and yeah i mean wow. there are goo packets and and gels and stuff but number one i hate those things just like the the viscosity is yeah. not for me um <laughs> but se you know secondarily it's pretty much the same thing it's just like sugar you know some form of sugar in a little pouch easily digestible yeah. and for my money i would rather eat you know gummy yeah. watermelons like, that's right i yeah. love gummy watermelons delicious so they're there to tell you maybe you should eat something maybe you should drink something definitely don't sleep now i need you to get this much farther before you can rest you have to have this hot this wet towel on you because it's 110 <laughs> degrees no you're not allowed to take it off um but my favorite part this sounds so much like me is you realize that that things are a, a bit of a slog. Uh, it's a struggle. You're hurting. Uh, and you see the van pull up. Ugh. 
and you are expecting all these nice people that are there to support you to say something supportive or kind to tell you to keep at it. You're doing great. And you look over and you just yell at them. No one better tell me I'm doing a great job right now. You were like, I refuse to accept your pity support. This isn't going well. Let's just all sink into the shit. Yeah. That's so funny to me in the middle of it that you were like, I'm just going to get out ahead of this. I, I needed to because because, yeah, like the idea of being patronized at a time like that, like the, I feel like steam would have poured out of my ears. I would have I would have had a, an emotional meltdown. I, I do. I hate being patronized. Like, please don't pat me on the back when I'm when I'm in the shit. And and yeah, so I I really felt the need to like get ahead of it because I like I knew that they were going to say something nice. And I just I can't handle it. Like, I don't I don't want that in that moment. Like you can just you it would have been better if they were just like, honestly, it sucks right now. Like we know. And you know what? Like, you look terrible, but you're still doing it. Right. But like, please don't tell me I look good. Like, please don't <laughs> tell me that like I'm persevering or I, I don't want it. I reject it. It's the worst message. Oh. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I feel like there are pre- probably two distinct camps on that. There are the people who think that like, I'm such a monster for feeling that way. And then there's you, Sarah, yeah. and you're in it with me. Like yep. I, I, I can't accept that feeling yes. right now. Yes. Those positive yeah. feelings. So, I mean, this race is insane beyond the fact that it's um, 135 miles. It starts at a basin, which is the lowest point in North, North America, 282 feet b- below sea level. And it ends at the portal of Mount Whitney, which is 8,374 feet above sea level, which is the tallest mountain in the lower 48. So you've got several different mountain climbs. You've got almost 20,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. You are hiking. You are climbing. You are running. You're napping at some points. And throughout it all, you're getting blisters Mm -hmm. and cuts. And then, like, do you have to – part of the outfits, do you have to find outfits that have different – places that they sit so that it's not rubbing in the exact same spot or would you rather rub in the same spot and just keep making raw the one thing that hurts (laughs) you know i feel like that's something that i will have to test out another time like i i i the chafing was brutal it was so you know i um i often get chafing underneath my sports bra in the front and so i'm like prepared for that right i i like put band-aids on blah 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 but i got it in the back but again Mm -hmm. it's just it's just it's just so hot and there's so much you're sweating so much and on top of sweating you're also being cooled down by water right like we're they were spraying me with this uh you know a water sprayer and i had like a a bandana with ice in it that's just melting to keep you cool um and and yeah i mean it's it's just so hard to stay both dry and comfortable you're just going to be you're just going to yeah. be uncomfortable and and i think on some level um, the foot care is super important, like, cause oh, that can, God, that can yeah. blow up your whole race, you know, like, um, and so the blisters that I got, uh, we like took care of by covering them and, you know, essentially like making sure that they were minimized, but the chafing, like, you're just, you're just going to have it and you just got to figure out how, you know, like maybe you shift the elastic band one certain way, or maybe this works for a couple hours. Um, but otherwise I, I think there is some just acceptance of like, this is this suffering is not going away. So yeah. just get this done as quickly Minimize as you can. Minimize it and figure yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Get it done it, as fast as you can. So you can. Yeah. So you can <laughs> take a shower and, and move on with your life. And put bandages all exactly. over your bloody body. Exactly. Okay. Take me to the end mm. when you're just fully yelling at everyone. 
Um, you're telling people that their help is not helpful. Uh, you are saying, I don't care about a single human being right now. They're offering that maybe someone in front of you could be passed. And uh, instead of finding that inspiring, you want to murder everyone. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, uh, in this last bit, uh, over the four mile stretch to end the race, you're the sixth fastest person and the fastest woman. You are crushing it in a way that you are very clearly not aware of in yeah. your brain at the time. Yep. Instead, you feel like you want to murder everyone and you hate Correct. life. Um, take me back. And I want to know, because so many people talk about this, even with things that are not nearly as impressive as this, um, where you can't look back and remember it as it was. People talk about this with childbirth or like crazy hard hikes that like yeah. in the moment you literally would rather die than do yeah. what you're doing. And then later you're like, it wasn't so bad. Uh, so when you try to put yourself in that moment, what do you feel? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think now I think it's the most hilarious thing. And I think it's exactly, you know, I, I am painting over it in broad strokes. It is so funny to me because I was miserable, right? I was, I was like on the verge of a brownie, a brownout. Like I was so physically tired and I was, I mean, I'd been on my feet for 37 hours. I was so sleepy, tired and calorically, I, you know, I was in a caloric deficit. So I'm, I mean, I'm in a really bad place mentally and physically, but when I think back on it, I just think it is the most hilarious thing that I'm screaming at my great friend, Jimmy, who's out here, you know, like I'm, I, I was just like, I need, I, for whatever reason, I was obsessed with how much further I had to go. I knew it was less than a mile, but for whatever reason, you know, what's the difference between six tenths of a mile and, and eight tenths of a mile, who yeah. cares? Just go, just keep moving. <laughs> and I was obsessed with it. And so I kept asking that question and he was just like, a couple more turns. And I like, I was like, you know, in my head, I'm, I'm, I am delusional at this point. Uh, and he's my enemy. And so I just told him like, that's not <laughs> like, I just was so obsessed with this singular point of information. Um, and it's funny because Ricky, who was my crew chief, he was like, he's like, Oh, I stayed at the car. Cause I knew you were hitting tilt. Like I knew I shouldn't, no one should say anything to you. Just like, don't leave her alone. Her. Exactly. Don't talk to her. Um, and, and Jimmy, like, there's a video of him and he's like, I shouldn't have gone out there. Like, he's like, he's like a broken man. Um, but, and it's, and again, to me, it's so funny now. Cause I can look back on it as like, that was such a terrible moment for me. Right. I was feeling so bad, but I got through it and yeah. I got through it because of my team. They had gotten me to that point and now they're laughing at me like you monster you're <laughs> yeah, like, get it together you're such an asshole <laughs> um and i can wear that and and yeah. accept that um and i think it's just you know absolutely reflecting on it and and at the finish line um i didn't i really thought that i was going to feel this sense of elation and accomplishment and i didn't i felt nothing i was just wiped i could barely function but later on that day after a nap and like after a meal and just coming back to I was euphoric. I, I, I mean, reflecting on it with my team over like hamburgers. It was, I mean, it was just like this beautiful team moment of, and cathartic, this cathartic moment. Yeah. Um, and I wound up staying up till 1230, like <laughs> in the, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how I was still so sleep deprived, but I was just, I just felt so accomplished and so honestly, like proud of myself and powerful that I had powered through yeah. the most challenging thing I'd ever done um, and been able to succeed and like look back on it and, and be so grateful for 
for all of that, for the misery, the suffering, the the McDonald's hash browns, like just to be grateful for everything that is part of that experience. Yeah, let's let's go over the uh, the recap of, of the hash brown. So, thirty seven hours, thirty seven minutes for the entire race, one hundred and thirty five yeah. miles, sixty four minutes spent napping, mm-hmm. at least one hundred and twenty minutes singing, mm-hmm. twenty five minutes yelling at your crew. Poor, least, poor souls. At least uh, four liters of Coke, 11 packets of Pedialyte, a pineapple, a container of strawberries, two sweet potatoes, four protein shakes, two packages of gummy watermelons, a jar of pickles, a cup of ramen, and two McDonald's hash browns. Uh, that alone might have been why you were yelling at people. Yeah. yeah um, you do also mention pooping in a bag, which I was kind of curious. At some point, you're probably going to poop in yep. 37 hours. Um I think, though, what you just talked about, that euphoria, um, that's the thing, is that as cheesy as it sounds, the great feeling of accomplishment can only come if you do something really hard that you have to work really hard for. You have the risk of failing. You have the pain of training. You have the pain of accomplishing. You have all of the things that could go wrong. But the only way to possibly have that feeling is to have it have required a tremendous amount of work. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that there's plenty of things that you get without working that hard or do that don't require that much. And they're just never going to give you that feeling. So yep. when you, when you talk to people, and I assume a lot of people talk to you about more sports specific or race specific uh, things that they want to try. But if you think bigger picture, um, what would you suggest to people who put off those things or who aren't doing that thing that they always say they want to do for whatever they're letting get in the way, whatever excuses or fears are, are getting in the way? Yeah, I mean, I think that your behavior and actions really dictate your priorities and who you are. So if you choose not to do something or not to start something, that says something about you as well, right? Um, And maybe it's just an expression of what you're actually afraid of. Um, But I think that exactly like you're not going to feel better. You're always going to have, whether it's regret or a feeling of like just missing out on an opportunity. And if you can live with that, great. We all we all make choices, right? There are plenty of things that I wish I could do um, that I choose not to because something else takes priority. But if this is a thing that gnaws at you and you really feel like you want to do it and you feel like you'll be fulfilled if you at least try, you have to, right? It's it's the old man in the arena thing, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not completing the thing that is actually the the objective it's the it's the process right like you have to you have to step outside of your comfort zone you have to step into the arena and risk failure you have to do that if you're ever going to be find a place where you're transcending um and look there are ways to grow in a linear direction um and to progress in that way but if you're looking for something that's going to shake your worldview or change some core aspect of your identity or behavior you're not going to do that in a way that is uh, comfortable comfortable <laughs> and and even just like taking steps in the margin those things can be a part of the process, like the overall process. But if you if you have a big audacious goal, well, then you better be ready to like commit to that. And I, I think sometimes it's just a matter of committing to it and then working backwards. All right, if I want to do bad water, what are the steps I need to take before that? Great. And then you that's the same way that you go to space, right? Like, how do right. I get to space? Well, first I gotta build an engine. Okay. Like I can build an engine. I right. probably can't, but like an engineer <laughs> yeah. could. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, I think it's I think it's those things that you have to kind of realize 
whether you're serious and then commit to it and figure out what are the steps along the way that will get you from here to there. Yeah, you have to make a plan. And then you have to start with the thing that you can do in order Mm -hmm. to get to that thing that feels like it would be impossible. It also reminds me of um, one of my favorite quotes, which uh, alternating depending on the day either makes me feel very inspired or like deeply depressed and uh, and worried about wasting my life away if like I've been on my phone too long is um, the quote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Because Mm -hmm. when you think about how you spend your day and how many days you get before it's all over, it can be really frustrating to be like, well, I spend my days going to work and trolling on Twitter and watching TV and doing whatever. And so you have to sort of reconcile whether on on an everyday basis, enough of the minutes of your day are spent doing things that bring you joy or satisfaction or help others or inform you or educate you or any of the things that matter to you. So when you were talking about how you ultimately have to decide uh, if the things you're doing um, are who you are, like the choices that you make and whether you decide to put yourself out there ultimately is who you are. I think about that a lot in terms of people who I think believe themselves to be something that they aren't because their everyday actions and behaviors and choices and activities aren't actually that, right? Right. And you get to wake up every day and be like, am I the person who makes a smoothie and goes for a run? Or am I the person who wakes up and eats a, a donut? And either one is your choice, Yeah. but you get to choose that every day and and what you continually choose is ultimately who you are even yeah. if you tell yourself otherwise right exactly exactly and uh, i mean i think in the context of whether it's physical achievement or again like you know going back to school or you know i feel like there are so many things that that are audacious goals um that people set for themselves or want for themselves and i think there's also a matter of deserving you know like like you deserve to have something audacious you, you deserve the opportunity to achieve right. something and, yeah. and to believe that you can get there. It's not going to be easy, but, but you deserve to take some chances. Um, and, and if you fail, guess what? You're, you're going to figure it out and that will become a part of your next adventure, right? Like if, if 10 days before your race, it gets canceled, well, guess <laughs> what? Now you've got your origin story. Like you mm-hmm. can figure it out from there. Um, Put yourself back together um, and just know that you deserve a chance to to do something bigger than what you are now and better than what you are now. We're out of time, but I have to ask what's next. If you've already done the Badwater 135, now what do you do? Oh, man. I mean, I think that's that's such a good question. Um, interestingly enough, I have spent a lot of time trying not to think about what's next because I think it becomes this impossible escalator to like, right. oh, my God. And then you're just chasing your tail. Um, so for me, I think it's like... I think there's a part of me that wants to do bad water again and do it faster or better or, uh, you know, like with a different goal or objective in mind. Um, and so I think that's, that's part of it. Uh, but I haven't even signed up for, you know, another hundred miler because I've just mm-hmm. been trying to process like what I actually want. Right. Um, but, but that's I, I good. I mean, I'm chasing that feeling again. Yeah. You, you know, um, I, I need to feel that you give yourself the time to appreciate what you've done because it's about the process. Um, which is the important part, but still you got the result. And part of the process is not only finishing, but then like taking into account what you've done, looking back at how you got there. And then also there's something kind of special about just waiting for something to hit you, like finding out about some race you've never even heard of or some cool thing that somebody's done and then having it be like this spontaneous, oh, that's what I want to do instead of, instead of having to go looking for it. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Speed round number one. Your current career is canceled. What job do you do instead? Uh, Writer. Number two. What's the most scared you've ever been? Um, hmm. I, I had this dream when I was like five that King Kong was a like a goat and everything was on fire. And it I, I mean, it's totally illogical, but it was terrifying. And I still think about it, you know, almost 30 years later. OK, was it was King Kong a goat head, but King Kong otherwise? Or was it a giant goat? It was a giant goat, but I like. But it was out with Kong. everything that was King Kong. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Um, running really fast. A sprint. A sprint. Oh, spr- okay, got it. Yeah, Usain Bolt esque. Yeah. Um, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Donald Faison. Love him. Interesting. Big Scrubs fan. Yeah, I love Scrubs, and I just think that I just think he has the best personality. Okay. I, I mean, look, there are there are people who I like aspire to be more than Donald right. Faison, but best friend, like he's the best one. Friend. All right, number five. What's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Oh, oblivious people with umbrellas. Like, pay attention. <laughs> just know your perimeter. It's not that difficult. We're all walking in the rain. Like, just pay attention. So uh, number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Um, when I was in high school, so there was a tag on the back of my shirt that someone said looked like a condom and I was mortified. <laughs> I was so humiliated. I like, almost wish you could go back and take all of your confidence and security now yeah. and just and put it in your teenage self to be able to be in those situations and be like, eh, who cares? Because who cares? when you get older, you look back, you're like, no one cares. But everything was the biggest deal in the world. Yep. Like, it yep. was so upset. I was so humiliated. <laughs> uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, the thing about myself, I mean, there's so, honestly, there are so many things. Um, uh, I wish I didn't immediately, fl- like, I wish I had more emotional range than happy and angry. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see in my bad water piece. Yeah, you're working on it. Working on um, it. Number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Mm. Raphael Sadiq. Ooh. Love him. Number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure when I, um, I mean, again, there, I feel like there are so many, uh, I think when, uh, when I was like young, uh, I think I was very scared of, this is a really stupid moment, but I, you know, I was like six and I was at SeaWorld and, <laughs> and they were asking me to be in the dolphin show. Cause I was like this precious little six year old yeah. and I declined. And I think that it was just like, I, that moment has stuck with me. I think it was like a big regret that I have. And it's just, you know, I was, I was scared of seals, but I love dolphins and I missed out on something cool. Very stupid. I'm that sure is, there's a bigger failure. That is a that's a tremendous failure and you should absolutely be carrying it with you for life. You should never be allowed to look at dolphins again. Yep, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know how I sleep at night. <laughs> Uh, it's a number speed round, and I was like, try, you know, I feel like a lot of people no, think good. too much. You're nailing like, it. No, you're nailing it. Uh, number ten. What three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Oh, uh, 
smart, uh, uh, defiant, and fun. Nice. I like it. Uh, finally, who should I have on this podcast? Anyone from any industry or background that I would find interesting? Hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Um, uh, Becky Hammond. Yeah, she's actually been on. She has she's, actually been on, if you can believe it. She doesn't do like any interviews. Um, thank you, Colleen. This was incredible. You're amazing. I'm so are awe. you, Sarah. I mean, not really. I'm, I, you know, barely lugging my ass around trying to do something that, you know, average 70 year olds do at the Grand Canyon, but we all have to have our goals. No, I, I love, I love that you're doing it. And I think that you're not giving yourself enough credit for like fighting back from an injury where you're still debilitated and still in pain. And, (laughs) you know, I think that's a real part of life too. That's what she said. Oh yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Sometimes I'll tell you what to watch, what to listen to, what to read. Um, Today, what's on my mind is the Do Crew. We're all going to do it. That's what she said. You're going to hear a little bit more on each of them, uh, their first steps toward their goals. And, you know, I think the big reason I wanted to create this group was not just to have some company as I endeavored to do something that I have long talked about, but also because I found over the years of doing this podcast that, you know, I've had such great conversations. I've read so many articles, so many books about happiness and habits and living our best lives, brain chemistry, you know, all these things that have truly changed my approach to so many parts of my life in the best possible way. I really think from doing this podcast for the last couple of years, I've become kinder, less judgmental, more thoughtful, more patient, more understanding, um, definitely more able to pivot and adjust when things don't go my way or when plans change, which is a big one for a control freak like me. Um, And I've also just learned from so many smart and inspiring people that have made me braver and less prideful and more willing uh, to be vulnerable and and to be open to failing and getting back up again and trying. I've heard so many people who have faced incredible life challenges or setbacks or diagnosis um, or just have been really incredibly inspiring in the way that they face things. So I wanted to share more brave, inspired people with all of you in the hopes that maybe someone's journey or goals might resonate with you, maybe inspire you to make that change, try that thing, learn, grow, evolve. I just think it's so important in life to not get stuck and to always want to be learning and changing. Uh, So you can join us in this pivot point moment as we're all doing something different. Um, We'll start with my goal, which compared to some of the do crew is pretty minor. um, But for me involves a lot of sucking up of my pride, a lot of acceptance of the current me um, and the things that I've lost, but I've been able to avoid really acknowledging most of the time. Um, And that's um, athletically and in terms of of my my body failing me as I get older. Uh, So my mom and I have talked about hiking to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back up for a decade plus. And we finally won the lottery to stay at Phantom Ranch at the bottom of the canyon. But 2020 COVID erased our trip. They canceled half of the reservations. Didn't get anything. Just like Colleen. Um, No future reservation. No anything. Just canceled. Um, So instead of continuing to put it off as we kept trying and not winning the lottery again, we pulled the trigger uh, a month or so ago on a hike with camping at the bottom instead of staying at the hotel. Uh, I'm excited for the stars. I'm excited for the adventure, but no showers. Oh, we do get toilets. Um, But yeah, we're roughing it a little bit. Um, I'm not nervous about the camping. I am nervous about the hike. Um, I did the hike down and up in one day um, years ago, though. 
I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, we went to the canyon, uh, and I was with my science teacher and a, and a group of students. And yeah, all the way down and back up in one day. Could not do that now. Would not try to do that now. Uh, we went to the Grand Canyon again years ago. Uh, my mom and I did, and we did a decent length hike, but not all the way down and back. Um, and I used to hike a ton back then when I lived in LA, Chicago terrain hasn't really offered a chance to keep that up. So honestly, I'm just worried about slowing people down. I'm worried about being in misery over the final few miles up. My mom is a badass, super in shape, 70 year old. She runs, she does Pilates. She works out more than most 20 somethings. Um, she wins, uh, five K's for her age group. And then my husband is a frustratingly in shape and capable hiker for someone who hates cardio and hiking, also camping for that matter. So I'm not real sure why he agreed to this trip, uh, but I'm excited he's coming. Um, meanwhile, I'm the former D1 athlete who is incredibly prideful and really confident about what I used to be able to do. But now I am totally broken down, constantly in physical therapy. I have two bulging discs. I have a bad L5 SI joint. Um, and I truly kind of destroyed my body in my previous life as a heptathlete. Um, I feel like there's so many parts of heptathlon that are not good for you. Um, that just pounding on your knees and your shoulders and your back and everything else. So um, I still carry myself around like I'm an athlete. I'm not used to being not confident in my abilities or my athleticism. I'm not used to worrying about holding a group back. I'm always in the front. I'm always first. Um, and being old and being broken sucks. Um, listen, there are plenty of things I am bad at. And while I don't like admitting them, I will begrudgingly admit to being bad at them. Uh, but sports, yeah, not so much. That was that was my identity. That was, you know, being able to at least compete with anyone anytime, being able to show up somewhere and, you know, play any sport and be good at it was such a major source of confidence. So it's been really hard adjusting um, for the last 10 plus years to being injured, not being allowed to run for going on five plus years now, um, not being able to play in those co-ed sport and social things on the weekends anymore because of my back. Um, so, you know, this, this hike offers no escape. If my back hurts, if my little midget calf from my Achilles surgery hurts, if I'm winded, I'm just going to be on the side of a giant canyon slowing everyone down being judged or airlifted out, <laughs> but I'm willing to give it a try. I'm willing to risk a hit to the ego and doing the prep for it is the only way to put myself in position to succeed. So I've mapped out three months of prep. It started in January. I made it every single day of January, no days off, no breaks. Um, and looking ahead to February, I realized that I needed to adjust the training that I'd found online, do more hills and stairs and shorter mileage than the original plan I'd found. So called up a Grand Canyon expert, Serena Rana of trailsinspire.com. She's also the author of The Best Day Hikes on the Arizona National Scenic Trail. So she suggested a handful of sections in the book related to the Grand Canyon I could check out. Also had some tips for training and hikes. And um, here's just a few of the tips from her. The big thing for me when I'm hiking uphill is the mind game. Right. And, you know, just being like in that mindset where you're just going to keep going. And I mean, I, I've hiked out of the Grand Canyon. I can't even tell you how many times. <laughs> and it's still every single time I'm like, you can do this. The fact that you're not having to carry any, you know, big packs and stuff like that down, that's going to make a huge difference in your uh, comfort level. And, you know, and then the, uh, one of my favorite Grand Canyon uh, hacks is when you take a break, um, it, when your legs are getting tired and stuff like that, or even before they get tired, you elevate your legs above your heart. Oh, okay. That's like magic. And um, it helps the venous return of the blood and so it reoxygenates quicker okay great and tip so yeah so when you're like taking a you know decent break 
put your pack down maybe and you know like lay against your pack and put your feet up on something okay um you'll see people doing it all over the canyon because it's like a like i said this is a really good good hack the pride thing like just get rid of that for the canyon i know i'm working on it the the canyon is like the canyon eats pride for breakfast yeah yeah um but yeah just you know you're there for the you know experience and it's going to be amazing and your guides will you know play into that because they take care of folks like Yeah, I actually think it'll be better than our original plan, which was to just do it the three of us and then stay at the hotel. I think we'll the guide will point out so many things and have so many talking points. And I love learning. So that'll be great. And then there's just I think just two other people with us. So as long as they're cool um, and not in a race, which, again, I don't think you sign up for this if that's who you are. No. So. And you know what? If they're in a race, they can have their race. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Have a nice time. See See you at the top. It was a great conversation. Uh, go check out trailsinspire.com, her book, Best Day Hikes on the Arizona National Scenic Trail. Uh, she really helped me get on the right track for February. And besides a Super Bowl-related hangover and a little disc injury of my neck that sidelined me for a few days, I've been sticking with it. I've been holding myself accountable by posting to Insta every day as I complete my workouts. And that is super helpful because I would never lie and say I did it if I didn't. But it also prevents me from making excuses. If I put it on the calendar, I got to do it. And I got to tell everyone whether whether I showed up that day or not. So I'll keep you guys updated on my goal as we get closer. We're hiking April 7th to 9th. And in the meantime, let's get to know the Dew Crew and what their first step is going to be. I encourage you to figure out your first step too as you listen. So first of the 15 members of the crew, Kelsey Lofredo. Hi, Sarah. My name is Kelsey Lofredo. And my commitment to the Dew Crew is to hike all 48 4,000 footers in New Hampshire by the end of July. Amazing. I'm I'm obsessed with your dog, Gunner, by the way, that you sent me a picture of. Uh, Kelsey's first step is three to five mile walks and runs around town to get her endurance up, adding some incline while doing cardio. And starting next week, she's going to add her hiking backpack to get used to the weight of it. Can't wait to see pics, Kelsey. Awesome. Craig Kirkendall commits to getting healthy enough to start bowling again by March 20th of next year to try to roll a perfect game. Started phase one the day after the Super Bowl, committing to no drinking during weekdays. I love the specificity. You got this, Craig. Al. Hi, my name is Al Whitehouse, and my commitment to the Dew Crew is to submit my children's book to at least 10 publishers by the end of 2022. Love this one. Okay, Al's first step is to join and interact with the Facebook group for writers of children's books. Ross. Hey, my name is Ross, and my commitment to the Dew Crew is to create my own cookbook from scratch by the end of the year. Okay, rad. Would love to hear more about your cooking style. Are we getting like French classics? Are we getting game day grub? Are we getting, you know, high as hell munchies? Love to hear it. Uh, Ross's first step is to actually start compiling ideas and info and recipes he'd like to include to better formulate that focus of the book. Melissa and her daughter Jenna are learning the ukulele together. They've got one in the mail. They're waiting on the other ukulele. Their first step is to sign up for online classes and they've been using YouTube demos so far. Love it. Erica. Hi, my name is Erica, and my commitment to the Dew Crew is to finish a children's story I've been working on and write at least two more short romance stories by November 30th. Yes, Erica. I love that we're multifaceted, but um, let's make sure to keep those two projects separate, right? <laughs> we don't want a Fifty Shades of Goodnight Moon situation. <laughs> um, Erica's progress this week is to create a timeline of steps she needs to complete and by when. Great. Uh, Katie Shelley. Hi. My name is Katie Shelley, and my commitment to the Dew Crew is to complete a Welsh course by January 1st, 2023. 
Katie, I love your voice. You should do voiceovers or something. Um, okay, great goal. I love that you were inspired after learning that the Welsh language is dying out, um, but that native Welsh speakers are trying to create content to encourage fluency and knowledge of Welsh history. That's so cool. I love it. Uh, Katie's goal for the first two weeks, complete at least an hour of Welsh practice every day and intentionally schedule it instead of just fitting it in so she can concentrate and make the most of the time. I love this. Great specificity. So good. Doug Hicks hopes by the end of the year he can be physically feeling better and more active and stronger so that he can get to better mental energy and health. His first step is uh, he works in research at a medical school, so he's enrolled in a couple clinical studies. One is an exercise study with a free gym membership to the campus rec center. The other uses virtual reality technology to practice mindfulness exercises. Um, and he thinks being part of those studies will give him some accountability to put in the effort and prioritize. Love it. That sounds awesome, Doug. Mark Lapore. Hi, my name is Mark Lapore, and my commitment to the Dew Crew is to row a marathon 26.2 miles in under three hours by May 15th. Amazing, Mark. Okay, so the first step is to start working out on an everyday basis, daily flexibility, mobility routine for his back issues. Okay, I feel you on that, Mark. And I've used some good Peloton stretching classes. I'm sure there are some free ones online. I find someone leading me through it helps me stay patient and complete the holds uh, much longer than when I do it myself. So try it out. Give it a shot. Uh, Afid. Hi, my name is Afid, and my commitment to the Do Crew is to get healthier by eating better and exercising. My initial goal is to lose 15 pounds by June 1st. Okay. Also hoping for a healthy exercise routine, healthier eating habits, and 25 to 30 pounds lost by his 40th birthday in October. Awesome. First step is eliminating fast food and takeout from the lunch routine, which he's typically eaten out three to four times a week. He's going to bring his lunch every day from now on and commit to an exercise routine. Great. Planning ahead is huge, huge, huge when it comes to fitting in workouts and eating better. So that's great. Sarah wants to compete her first ever triathlon by July of 2022. Her first step is to sign up for that triathlon, the Philly Women's Try, uh, and do her first swimming workout since before the pandemic. Awesome. Chris. Chris's goal is to be posting new music weekly or bi-weekly by the end of this summer. Hopes to get 100 subscribers as well. He's researched the gear he needs, so his first step is to buy it within two weeks. Love it. Can't wait to hear the music, Chris. So Priya, by the end of the year, she wants to have her own photo website up and running. First step is to organize and catalog any new photos she takes within 24 to 48 hours after taking them. That is huge. That's going to help you so much. Lucas Hunter. Hi, friends, if that's what she said. My name is Lucas Hunter, and my commitment to the Duke crew is to place some of my creative writing by the end of the year. Awesome, Lucas. His first step is to track down a list of journals and their submission deadlines. Love it. Can't wait to read. Our final member, Jared, our crossword puzzle maker. He must be buried in puzzles. Uh, he didn't get back to me, but I did admittedly give them a quick turnaround due to the aforementioned Super Bowl hangover. Uh, so we'll give him a mulligan. Hope you're still on board, Jared. Uh, I can't wait to hold these folks accountable and support each other. Um, as for me, my next step, in addition to my training, is to make sure I've got all the stuff I need for the hiking and camping. Uh, don't you love when shopping is the next step? Love that. Uh, thanks for listening. And if you're inspired to set a new goal, do your own do crew at home. I'd love to hear about it. Email me, sarah.c.spain at espn.com or at Sarah Spain on Twitter. That's also where you can send me questions, dilemmas, guest suggestions, and more. As always, go to the iTunes or podcast app, follow and subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please, and give a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting more than an hour with me. That's what she said. That's what she said.